It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Am I going to have trouble with the microphone stand, do you think, Leonie, or it's all right? Leonie's been great. She's like my personal assistant today. <laughs> you don't get that often. Well, it's good to be in God's house. It's great to be sharing um, in this beautiful part of the world, Wollongong. And it's great to be among you good people. And um, we counted a privilege, Lyndon and I, to be here ministering with you today. And uh, we look forward to the word of God and what the Holy Spirit is going to impart into your hearts and minds this morning. Well, today is the last of a four-part four series on Jesus and justice. And as I've looked at the material that was presented to me by the International Social Justice Commission this past week, I come away with a deep sense of heartfelt connection around the subject matter and how it has shone truth on the mission and ministry of Jesus and his love for people. That was really important to me, that that connection was made. The other thing that the Holy Spirit reminded me of was that the Salvation Army was raised up by God. And for us as Salvationists and members of the wider body of Christ, we need to be constant in our approach in, in serving and ministering into the social justice space. We exist for others. And our national vision points us in the direction of continuing Jesus' ministry where he has called us to serve. The very essence of Jesus' ministry here on earth and now under the direction of the Holy Spirit is still and always be about others. Historically, Catherine and William Booth got it right, didn't they? And now we find ourselves picking up the mantle and continuing to live out the vision and mission that we were called to, others. If we are to remain a movement and not become a monument, it always has to be about serving others, doesn't it? For Lyndon and I in this season of our ministry, we get to sit around tables with um, what is called area leadership teams. And that is where all expression, mission expressions of the Salvation Army work together and spend time together, all expressions together, working for the mission of the Salvation Army and more importantly, Jesus. And that is the first time that that has actually happened in a hundred years. And all the conversations are mostly robust and inspiring as the stories are sh shared on how people are making a difference into the lives of others. When it comes to social justice, for Jesus it went like this, to love is to be just, to be just is to love. And friends, when we claim to follow Jesus, we are disciples of justice. Did you realise that? Jesus' mission on earth 
in his time is our mission on earth in our time. Let us begin this morning by recognising our calling isn't to be all things to all people. We just need to be Jesus to people and we need to represent him well. Let's just quickly recap what this Jesus and Justice series has looked like for you. Your first week was including the excluded. Secondly, challenging cultural practices. Thirdly, confronting the powerful. And today is about advocating for the oppressed. Today we're going to be looking at two areas under advocating for the oppressed. Firstly, advocating for the poor. Jesus' mission is captured in a single vision with two dimensions. His hope for a restored humanity envisions the well-being for people who are spiritually poor and people who are socially poor. This is the very heart of the gospel, friends. And it inspires us to do what we do. Jesus was the ultimate advocate for spiritual and social well-being. Advocating for Jesus wasn't an afterthought, but it was rather the very heart of his ministry. In the final days with his disciples, Jesus actually called himself an advocate. And he also promised to them to send another, which we know comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the good news for all of us is that Jesus continues to advocate on our behalf through the promised presence of his Holy Spirit. In, verse, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus said, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The predicament of the poor was an ongoing concern in Jesus' life. You, you see, Jesus understood poverty. He was born into poverty. And although we don't know the full details of the night of Jesus' birth, what we do know is that he was born in a smelly stable. He was placed, after he was born, he was placed in a feeding trough filled with, with straw. Very humble beginnings. Jesus understood poverty. This ongoing concern for the poor is clearly illustrated in his bias during a visit to Simon the leper's home. A woman intruded on the conversation with a jar of expensive ointment in her hand and she began applying it to Jesus' head. And we know how the story plays out. But at some point, 
in the course of the conversation, Jesus interrupts and he says, you will always have the poor with you. I think for us as a group of God's people, raised up by God to live, love and fight, the challenge begins there with the very words of Jesus himself. And Leonie's going to read those for us. Reading from St Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. And commencing at verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I don't know if you realise it or not, but there is quite a challenge there for us. I remember listening to those words sung by a Christian singer of the day, Keith Green. Do you remember Keith Green? Yeah. And he sang that song and he called it The Sheep and the Goats. And every time I listened to that song, out of a a lot of his songs, I was challenged Why? Because at the very end of his song, he says, the difference between the sheep and the goats 
is what they did and didn't do. For nine years now, Lyndon and I have served in the southwest part of Sydney, not far from here, an hour down the road. And prior to this, we served for 13 years in northwest Sydney. There's a huge contrast between the northwest side of Sydney and the southwest side of Sydney. And when we arrived to the southwest side of Sydney, Truly, it was like moving to the other side of the world. And I don't have to explain why. We know why. However, when we were appointed to Liverpool City as the mission leaders, one day we decided to drive over. And we walked around the city and we asked God to give us a heart and a vision for the community. And on that day, it was very clear to us that we would be serving people who were marginalised, oppressed and poor on all fronts. True enough, this became the case. And as time went on, we found ourselves doing life with people who were third and fourth generations impoverishment, welfare recipients, three and four generations, living impoverished lives, homeless, disenfranchised people. And ministry soon changed for us. You see, God broadened our hearts with love of another kind And he equipped us with skills required in being Jesus to people in this space. As I think about it now, a lot of that time we spent spent and do still spend advocating for others. Last week we were down here in Wollongong with the area leadership team. And as I mentioned earlier, that's where all expressions across the Illawarra, in this case, are represented. We all come into the one room together. And as we share the stories and as the guys share the stories of what's happening in the Illawarra, what stands out most to me is, just as Rosalind explained on the video that we watched earlier on, A lot of the ministry is coming alongside people, advocating to make a difference, being the hands and feet of Jesus, living out the vision with the love of Jesus being the catalyst. What a privilege we have in the Salvation Army. What a privilege we have to come alongside people and to advocate on their behalf. Friends, I pray that we never lose sight of the calling and mission that is upon our lives as a movement. In Matthew 25 that Leonie just read to us, Jesus talks to us about sharing resources 
with those who have less. But there is more to it than sharing and being generous. It is about having a regard for the poor, for the oppressed. A disregard for the needs of the poor and the oppressed can be seen as an absence of faith. Because when we as followers of Jesus express our practical love, we are also bringing the touch of Christ into their lives. Friends, Christ is present when God's people are present. And doing good is a practical expression of God's love. A cup of water in my name. Isn't that what Jesus asks us to do? Amanda Merritt, who sits in the Southern Territory, or that part of the Wewan Territory, but she sits down south, she oversights social justice on a national platform. And she says this, in order for justice to move beyond a buzzword, we must start engaging in the messy part of our neighbourhoods where injustice is prevalent. Just for a moment, think about your community. And I invite you in asking God right now to place someone on your heart whose needs exceed their limited resources. Just one person. And ask God how you can step into that space. Now, I'm not talking about giving money, but practical expressions of God's love that can come in the giving of our time, the giving of our skills and our giftings, in order to make a difference. Jesus' directive to express generosity to people who are not in a position to pay you back is a reminder to live beyond our own self-interest. Evangeline Booth, she said this, there is no reward equal to that of doing the most good to the most people in the most need. Advocating for the privileged. Can we think about that? A polar opposite of advocating for the poor, perhaps. It can be very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that privileged people don't need advocates. That's the world's thinking, perhaps. People of privilege have resources and opportunities to make it on their own. That's what the world would say. However, in Jesus' mind, the greatest spiritual issue for all people from all, all cultures and for all time is self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency is pretty enticing to a lot of people. Why be dependent when you can be independent? Why seek others' advice when you have all the answers? 
Why wait in line when you can send someone else to wait in line for you? Why travel on a bus when you can go first class? And the list goes on and on. I hate to say it, but quite often money is always a part of self-sufficiency. They seem to go hand in hand. And is it any wonder that Jesus said, beware of the power of money? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. And clearly this issue has been around for a long, long time. Otherwise, there would have been no need for Jesus to include the above statement around his kingdom teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Two sports stories that come to mind when we think about self-sufficiency would be, firstly, the rich ruler. Self-sufficient member of society. He had wealth and he was socially privileged. And those benefits didn't make him a bad person at all. In fact, there was a lot that was right about his intentions. His spiritual hunger was admirable. His inner spirit desired to be right with God. And although he may have been self-centred, he followed the Old Testament teaching the Bible tells us. However, when Jesus set the standard a little bit higher than the ruler was ready to accept, his response was sadness and remorse, the scripture said. The other story that comes to mind is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was spiritually privileged, some would say. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a scholar and a teacher. He had great credentials. He was dedicated to God's law and he was able to answer all the religious questions the people asked him. But still there was a time when he didn't understand who Jesus was nor accepted what Jesus asked him to believe. Nicodemus, on paper, had more outward credentials than Jesus. But his inner spirit was deeply troubled. The Bible tells us that in the quiet of the night, Nicodemus came to Jesus. There was a time when he was vulnerable, a time to be honest before the Son of God. I think for us this morning that both of these stories are a means perhaps for self-examination on our own hearts. It has been said, what you get a hold of gets a hold of you. What you embrace, embraces you. In the rich ruler's case, he surrendered himself to the power of money and privileges of wealth and social standing. Nicodemus sold 
his soul to the religious establishment of the day. His culture, religious rules and regulations drove him into a closed system living. Both the rich ruler and Nicodemus were locked in prisons of their privileges. Although they didn't see it at the time, Jesus was their advocate. Jesus was wanting to free them from the forces that oppressed them. In the case of the rich ruler, money, social prominence fueled his sense of self-sufficiency. And friends, when we perceive ourselves to be self-sufficient, we become our own authorities. We let personal prerogative drive our decision-making. We think we know best. But, there is always a but. Our presumed strengths can blind us to the need for God. In the rich ruler's case, he exchanged the God of creation for the God of money. I guess if we were honest this morning, this could be our story. In the case of Nicodemus, he saw the light and he was freed from his prison of self-sufficiency. He becomes, in the end, an advocate for Jesus. And scripture indicates that this man became a believer and follower of Jesus' teaching. Jesus calls us to advocate for the spiritually poor. And do you know what? The greatest tool we possess is our own experience of Jesus, our own personal inner witness. Don't ever underestimate the power of God in you. William Wilberforce said, a private faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. Friends of Wollongong, this morning we have been presented with a challenging topic. One that isn't going away. And in some shape or form, it confronts us all to a lesser or greater degree. And as I was preparing for today and reading the scriptures around my references for this message today, the Holy Spirit challenged me personally. going to have a time of reflection now and I just ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. The ensemble is going to help us reflect this morning. 
I want you to just, in this time of reflection, just forget about those who surround you. Forget about the person sitting next to you. Just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart this morning. We're going to be using a song in this time of reflection that will come up on the screen. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of his mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. An act of humility, laying down our crowns before Jesus, surrendering to him the hindrances, the distractions, and even in some cases, that little bit of pride that we carry around from time to time. Jesus invites us this morning to lay that down as we think about what God has spoken into our hearts today. Advocating, being Jesus to people. What do you need to put aside this morning for that to happen? And in this time of reflection, there is a place of prayer here and I invite you to come and kneel here as an act of laying down your crown this morning. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do that today, you are welcome to be here at the altar. Someone will come and pray with you, put their arm around you, so that you know that you are loved by a loving God. Friends, let's join together as we sing this song. And I would ask you to be obedient to the promptings of the Spirit in your life this morning. Thank you.